You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. The world's most exciting podcast, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. I'm Michael Savage, host of the Savage Nation podcast, home of borders, language, and culture. Hear my new podcast each week as I speak with top guests from around the world. Right now, we have over 700 shows in our library featuring interviews with world leaders, scientists, faith teachers, and more, including President Donald Trump, Prime Minister of Israel Ehud Barak, Edward Teller, the father of the hydrogen bomb, Jerry Falwell, and so much more conversations and commentary you cannot find anywhere else. Other guests have included Samuel Cohen, the father of the neutron bomb, Breitbart's Alex Marlowe, the great author Peter Schweitzer, Colonel Douglas McGregor, Be Here, or be nowhere. The Savage Nation podcast. Catch the Michael Savage podcast on all podcast platforms every Tuesday and every Friday. A week ago tonight, two New York City police officers were shot and killed. And today, here in this city, the first funeral in a massive and awesome show of support. Police officers from all across the country came and stood outside of St. Patrick's Cathedral on Fifth Avenue for the funeral. And uh, I don't know if you've ever seen one of these, probably not. These really ho- only happen on this scale in New York City. Uh, Jason Rivera was the first funeral, just 22 years old. Take a look at this. The family memorial service for the fallen cop. And incredible also, not only the turnout, but the silence. It was truly awe-inspiring. Another funeral will be held next week, but today it was for Jason Rivera, just 22 years old, the man on the left. Inside the city's leadership uh, from the police department, from all levels of government, and a very special message from Officer Rivera's wife, his widow. Dominique. Although you won't be here anymore, I want you to live through me. The system continues to fail us. We are not safe anymore. Not even the members of the service. I know you were tired of these laws, especially the ones from the new DA. I hope he's watching you speak through me right now. (laughs) 
standing ovation for almost a minute. And she was calling out the new district attorney of New York County, Manhattan, Alvin Bragg, who was actually in the church at that time. Now, Alvin Bragg was elected with only 86,000 votes in a city of 8 million people. It's a very peculiar system, but now he's one of the most important district attorneys in the nation. And he doesn't think that armed robbery should result in a prison sentence. He doesn't think that resisting arrest should be considered a crime. His ideas are absolutely radical and dangerous. And everybody is concerned about what is going to happen with this guy around. And also with the mayor. The mayor was there. Uh, The mayor spoke, spoke eloquently, but we need more than that. And this mayor, Eric Adams, has been a persistent police critic for his entire career. That's how he made his name, not by being a crime fighter, but by being an agitator, the Al Sharpton of the police department sometimes taking a time out for himself to run for Congress. Now he's the mayor, and he doesn't seem to know what he's doing. His first uh, official move, one of them, was to make his brother the deputy police commissioner. Now his brother has no experience for the job whatsoever. He was running a parking lot literally in Virginia, the last thing. But why does he need his brother? Because he trusts his brother, and he's afraid of white supremacists, no joke. My brother is qualified uh, for the position. Uh, Number one, he will be in charge of my security, uh, which is extremely important to me in a time when we see an increase in white supremacy and hate crimes. I have to take my security in a very serious way. We don't have white supremacy in New York City, and it's been overstated as a threat uh, coast to coast. White supremacy is terrible. But the kind of crime we're dealing with here and in cities all across the country, for the most part, at least in New York, it's black on black crime. And when Mayor Adams saw it on his first day in office with all of his crime fighting experience, what could he do? He called the cops. He just dialed 911 like I did five times last year. So he's been mayor for just about a month. And so far, about a half dozen police officers have been shot, two killed. Now, we're happy to report that one left the hospital, uh, Kasim Pennant, just 27 years old. Uh, he was shot in the leg, uh, got to leave the hospital. His shooter, his shooter, 16 years old, the alleged shooter, he is an aspiring rapper, and he's already out of jail, met the bail requirements, and he's walking around. Here he is. Yo, 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 suck on my nine. Very uncreative, all this stuff. It's all gunplay and weed uh, for decades now. I personally don't get it, but here is uh, Cameron Mouye, and he made his his bail, $250,000. He's uh, swimming in cash, it looks like. Um, This is a bad thing, I think, playing with guns and smoking weed. Uh, A lot of them are winding up possibly shooting cops or getting shot by cops. Dante Wright, who's been glorified as, uh, well... As a victim of police violence, he must be a saint, right? He was also fond of weed and guns. 
That's not a good combination. Cops are getting shot all over the place and dying. This Houston police officer, we have some more information on his alleged killer. Uh, it is this individual, an illegal alien who is wanted for murder in El Salvador. This is the kind of stuff we are dealing with, and I think it's going to get a lot worse as people are being transported from the border in Texas, Arizona, to places all across the country in the middle of the night. This is happening. The government is paying for it, and nobody seems to care. It's fascinating. There is a company, a large contractor called NVM, and they are looking for people who can handle complex travel management situations, okay? Uh, let's go through some of the job requirements and some of the jobs that are being offered. Transportation coordinator, logistics specialist, uh, transportation coordinator, on and on and on. Travel youth care worker. Next, please. Key functions you will perform, responsible for the safe and secure transportation of unaccompanied minor and families, minors and families. Also, you will need the ability to comprehend and speak Spanish and English fluently. Maybe you've seen this by now. These are planes arriving in the middle of the night, no coordination with anybody. They want to keep this on the down low. Just ask the contractors. You're on a, a secure facility here, and, and we don't really know anything, and we're in charge of security. So that's hence where we're having a problem here. We're not supposed to show IDs or anything like that. Like I said, everything's supposed to be hush-hush, because what we don't want to do is attract attention. We don't want the media. Yeah. Like, we don't even know where we're going when they tell us. Yeah. I get the whole secrecy and all this shit, but this is even about my Yeah, and why? You know why? You know why? Yeah, I know, but why? Why? Yeah. No, but uh, what's what's the big secret? Everybody knows it's happening. You know why? Because it gets out. The government's betraying the American people. So it's body cam footage from a police officer talking to one of these contractors who says, if this gets out, the government they'll find out it's betraying the American people, and that is happening. Shuttling illegal migrants all over the country and notice something. Look at this swing states. They're being brought mostly to swing states like Florida, Virginia, uh, Pennsylvania. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. They believe they'll be able ultimately to control how these people vote. This is offensive. There should be universal outrage about this, but it's not being noticed. We don't seem to have much of a border. We don't seem, I'm sorry, to have much of a country, at least shared values, fundamental agreement about what's right, what's wrong generally. Ronald Reagan was president. Do you remember this? We had basically shared values. He won 49 states. Can you imagine that today? I miss Ronald Reagan. Uh, I miss Donald Trump too. You know, today is January 28th. On this day in history, 1986, the Space Shuttle Challenger, we lost it, and all seven crew members on board. Engines throttling up, three engines now at 104%. Challenger, go and throttle up. Challenger, go and throttle up.
officers here looking very carefully at the situation. Obviously a major malfunction. Obviously a major malfunction. Do you remember where you were? Are you old enough? I was taking a English midterm in the 11th grade. One of those moments, uh, if you live through it, you will never forget. And the astronauts will never forget them. Uh, from the left, back row, Ellison Anazuka, Krista McCullough, the teacher, Gregory Jarvis, Judith Resnick, uh, front row on the left, that was um, Michael Smith, and in the middle, Dick Scobie, and on the right, Ronald McNair. Uh, there was a lot of attention on this particular mission. They had become somewhat routine, but Krista McCullough from New Hampshire was the first teacher, the first um, non-military, non-engineer, non-pilot. She was just a regular person, and we lost her. Um, but Ronald Reagan, boy, did he bring this country together in the way he consoled those families. And there he was. He embodied the United States of America. It was a tragedy, but it was also, there was, there was beauty in the tragedy. There really was. Um, and we did the right thing as a country. We looked into it. The Rogers Commission, we had these giants. We had people like former Secretary of State William Rogers and Neil Armstrong who walked on the moon and they headed up a commission. And I was astounded about the O-ring situation and that there were engineers who knew about it. There were some managers who knew about it, but because of political pressure within the corporation, within the organization, NASA and Morton Thiokol, some did not say anything or they said something, but they wouldn't tell their boss. There's a movie about this on Netflix, uh, Challenger, The Final Flight. It's really something else. NASA was always the good guys, the right stuff. You realize they're really rolling the dice. My dad, he said, I don't care who you tell. The shuttle is going to explode. Three, two, one. How could they let this happen? How could they let this happen? Uh, do you remember this quote? It's famous. Uh, one of the individuals said, take off your engineering hat and put on your management hat. They wanted the engineers to sign the piece of paper that it was okay to launch, even though they had grave doubts about launching. They wanted to tell their boss what the boss wanted to hear. Um, ever since then, I could never be one of those guys. <laughs> I just, I never will. Uh, I, I'm not involved in life and death matters, but some of us are. And I think it's important to remember this. And I think about the ridiculous invasion of Iraq, which was based on weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And guess what? The bosses didn't care if they were there or not. They leaned on the Central Intelligence Agency. They leaned on all the intelligence agency to tell us what we want to hear. I hope I have the strength, if I'm ever really in the hot seat, to withstand that pressure. Hopefully I'm never in that situation. There's a good chance you will be someday. I think it's a good lesson to remember. Check out this movie if you can. It's called uh, Challenger, The Final Flight, several episodes available on Netflix. I'm not a big Netflix fan, but I make certain exceptions. All right, stay with us. Uh, Hunter Biden is now one of the most successful artists who ever lived.
Hi, Rob Carson here. If you love watching Newsmax, you're really going to love listening to our new podcast. It's called the Newsmax Daily. I host it, and I give you the best briefing of the big news of the day, top newsmaker interviews, and even, yes, a few laughs. I know it's hard to believe. So if you're uh, driving, walking, exercising, just about anywhere, you can connect with the Newsmax Daily with me, Rob Carson. Find our podcast online or go to iPhone, Spotify, iHeart, Stitcher, and more, and start listening today. Is, is that, that the fake, fake news just doesn't, doesn't get, get it, do they? They don't, they don't get it. And uh, they just love to hear themselves talk, actually. MSNBC, possibly the worst, but it gives me a great window into the fake news writ large. I always wanted to say writ large. I don't know if that actually works there, but uh, take a look. This is a great example of uh, the fake news just being full of themselves. Mr. Letterman, we're getting a clearer picture of when Biden is going to nominate the replacement. What more are you learning? Good morning, Stephanie. President Biden saying he will nominate uh, his candidate for the Supreme Court by next month, one month from now, which will shortly after President Biden made that announcement uh, during the campaign. So over the coming uh, days and weeks, the White House is going to start reaching out to a number uh, of those candidates, likely to include the ones you see on your screen. Uh, He is also planning to consult closely with Vice President Kamala Harris, who, of course, in addition to being uh, the vice president, uh, is also a seasoned attorney and uh, and we know that the White House is really excited about the fact that they're going to be able to talk about this for the uh, next month into March, coming. which is when we would expect to see uh, hearings begin for a Supreme Court pick, uh, assuming that his replacement is confirmed by then, Stephanie. Whew. Uh, a lot of redundant overstatement of the obvious. They do that a lot. They have not much information, but they stretch it and stretch it and stretch it. Or they talk ultra inside. That's another thing they like to do, just ultra inside baseball stuff. In either case, it's a huge waste of time. Hey, it's time to vet Joe Biden. Do you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black? Now, we were doing this when he was running for president, unlike the fake news. Um, You know how you can tell Joe is uh, a liar? Because so many times he tries to convince you like, hey, honest to God, I'm really telling the truth this time. It does suggest that everything else he's been saying is nonsense. Take a look. It's not hyperbole. This is a fact. We don't have much time. Not a joke. Think about this now. This is not hyperbole. I'm not being solicitous. I'm being deadly earnest. I swear to God, true story. You know what I mean? You're a, I swear to God. No, no, I'm not being critical. I'm being deadly earnest. I'm serious. I swear to God. Sounds like hyperbole, but it's real. This is not hyperbole. This is a fact. I'm not being facetious now. I'm, not be, I'm being deadly earnest. No, I'm, I'm, I'm being deadly earnest. And I really mean that. That's not hyperbole. Sounds like hyperbole, but I mean it. I swear to God. <laughs> Did you see him look up like that? You're not supposed to swear to God, by the way. And uh, deadly earnest, it does kind of say that he's not deadly earnest most of the time. Uh, what a great big phony, huh? Uh, and when he's not lying. He's just getting things wrong. Um, Mitch Landrew was the former mayor of New Orleans. He's doing some work for Joe Biden. Joe Biden can't get it straight. You all remember last fall when Hurricane Ida made landfall and and he's running my operation now. 
in the, the former mayor of Louisiana. Yeah, uh, Louisiana is a state. They don't have mayors. They have governors. He was never the governor of Louisiana. He was the mayor of New Orleans. Not the worst thing in the world, but it's another thing. And there have been a lot. And then he did that strange thing where he loses his temper and he seems to be mad at us, but we did nothing wrong. In addition to your child, it strips you of your dignity, damn it. Can you imagine looking at your child? And you know what they need and not be able to do it? Many of you have lost children. Many of you have seen. Imagine. It's outrageous. Calm down. Dignity, damn it. Those two words should not be in the same sentence. Dignity and damn it. Oh, well. Uh, Hunter Biden, the president's son, he is a rich man. And if you want to know more about how he made that money, we have a pretty good idea so far. But you can buy Red Handed by Peter Schweizer. Red Handed, how American elites get rich helping China win. Peter Schweizer has done some amazing work. I very much look forward to this. Hunter, by his own admission, has had some very complex and lucrative dealings with the Chinese. I have another New York Times reporter calling about my representation of the, literally, Dr. Patrick Ho, the spy chief of China, who started the company that my partner, who was worth $323 billion, found it it is now missing the richest man in the world is missing who was my partner he was missing since i last saw him in his 58 million dollar apartment and signed a four billion dollar deal to be build the largest lng port in the world now why would the richest man in the world, the former spy chief of China, want anything to do with Hunter Biden? And why would he want to build an LNG port, whatever that is, with Hunter? This is beyond fishy. It's probably criminal. And the fake news doesn't want to know anything about it. He is so close to his father. These guys want us to know that. Now, why do they want us to know that? Why, do, why, why would anybody pose for a picture like this? You tell me. This is a commercial. This is a commercial to the world. Joe lets the world know how close Hunter is to him. If you want to do business with me, go see Hunter. That's what's happening. Believe me. Did you say your dad, you and your dad talk every night? Every night, yeah. Yeah, well, we talk at least every night, yeah. Sometimes. By the way, <laughs> not only does he talk to me every night, he calls every one of my daughters, he talks to each one of them every day, and he talks to me, and I know that he the talks to my The president of the sister. United States. Yeah, yeah. But, by the way, he's always done that. I mean, always. So if you're, uh, I don't know, from Kazakhstan or someplace and you want to do business, you want something from the United States, it's hard to get to the president, but it's a lot easier to get to this layabout, okay? That's the message. That's what's happening, uh, right? Hunter Biden, now 
He's being scrutinized now, so he's got to change his game a little bit. So he's an artist. Yeah, they're, they're really following through with this stuff. You know that, right? He's selling paintings, 75000 all the way up to 500000 a pop, probably more. He decided to become an artist at the age of 49, and he's selling art like that. Um, now, we thought, hey, there are some great artists who have lived, right? Who are the greatest artists, and how did they do financially in their lifetimes? Let's go through it. Vincent Van Gogh uh, did not do very well at all, had a miserable life, only sold one painting, and died penniless at 37 years of age. Claude Monet uh, lived a life of poverty. Critics made fun of his work. He started to sell some art by the time he was 40, but he was very, very good. Johannes Vermeer, he had to borrow money from his uh, family. His mother-in-law, who he did not like, had to co-sign all the loans. Uh, after he died, there was huge debt, and nobody knew who he was until after he died. This is how it is for really great artists, unfortunately. Paul Gauguin, poverty, sickness, uh, lost both his son and daughter to illness, remained penniless and died of heart failure became famous for artwork after death. And, uh, ooh, Toulouse-Lautrec, uh, he had all kinds of health problems, uh, was an outcast, and died from alcoholism and syphilis. Now, let's go on to Hunter. <laughs> uh, lives a life of opulence and opportunity, squandered millions on drugs and strippers, becomes an artist that's 50, immediate, overnight success. Is there something wrong? Yes. Of course there is. Of course there is. Stay with us. There's also potentially something wrong in a very big way with the election of November 2020. And yes, it's okay. It's even legal. It's even encouraged that we talk about it. A judge has finally said what we were saying all last year, that Pennsylvania's uh, voting situation was in violation of their own constitution. A judge has so ruled. Take a look at this. Pennsylvania, of course, a major, major swing state, 20 electoral votes. Uh, Joe Biden barely won that state officially less than 1% of the vote. Here's the deal. Under the constitution of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, there are Two ways, just two ways you can vote, and they're pretty broad. In person, of course, an absentee ballot with an excuse. An excuse. I'm on business in England. I'm in the military in Afghanistan. You need that excuse, okay? They threw that all out. They threw that all out in their new voting law. Take a look at this. Uh, Pennsylvania Act 77. No excuse mail-in voting is fine. Permanent mail-in ballot list, extended ballot submission deadlines. They did all these things that they're not allowed to do. The judge said a constitutional amendment must be presented to the people and adopted into our fundamental law before legislation authorizing no-excuse mail-in voting can be placed upon our statute books. You gotta change the Constitution first. And they basically threw out the uh, threw out the law. Now it's going to go to the Supreme Court. But this, again, it vindicates, well, me. It vindicates Congressman uh, Parnell or would-be Congressman Parnell. He was running. He could have been successful if this case has, had worked. And also Rudy Giuliani. 
Remember when he was working for Donald Trump? Remember when the fake news gave him such a hard time? Said that he was called out by a judge in federal court. They didn't know what they were talking about, but boy, did they try to mock Rudy. Giuliani told a judge, this is not a fraud case. Giuliani was forced to admit in court, quote, this is not a fraud case. Still no evidence of fraud. In fact, Rudy Giuliani admitted in court in a Pennsylvania case that he's not even charging fraud. Even Rudy Giuliani, when he went into a federal courtroom in Pennsylvania, no, your honor, no, your honor, this is not about fraud. Rudy Giuliani, your lawyer, November 18, 2020 in Pennsylvania, quote, this is not a fraud case. Your own lawyers had no evidence of fraud. So um, they're wrong, and Rudy was right. Rudy was talking about the constitutional issue, and uh, he's been vindicated again, again. All right, stay with us. You've heard of the Proud Boys. You heard they're white supremacists, right? They're not. It's a big, fat, fake news lie. Enrique Terrio joins us. He just got out of jail. Guess why he went away? For burning a Black Lives Matter flag. Hey, if only it was an American flag, he wouldn't have gone to jail at all. Enrique Terrio from the non-white supremacist Proud Boys next. Iran has never given up its number one goal, build a nuclear bomb. And they promise to use this new weapon against Israel and the United States. Watch True Iran, the Global Jihad on Newsmax. So that is Enrique Tarrio, leader of the Proud Boys. Um, the Proud Boys are not white supremacists, okay? Enrique Tarrio happens to be Afro-Cuban, of Afro-Cuban descent. Now here's the news. He just got out of jail. He served a prison sentence, four months. His offense, destruction of property, burning a Black Lives Matter flag. Enrique Tarrio joins us right now. Welcome back. Welcome home. How are you, sir? Well, thank you for having me on, Greg. It's happy to be here. I'm happy to be out. Uh, happy to be around my family and friends and brothers. Well, terrific. Hey, what was it like in there? Uh, you were in the D.C. jail, right? We've heard all kinds of horrible things. How bad was it? Um, you know, one can't complain because jail is jail. But I can say that the conditions that they are holding these J6 prisoners, including myself, um, as you saw with the marshals, you don't have to take it from me, as with the marshals, uh, I mean, horrid conditions, unlivable conditions, 23-hour uh, lockdowns. Uh, I couldn't talk to my attorney. Uh, the only time that I was able to talk to my attorney, they put me in a hallway with correctional officers all around me. I had no... Uh, ability to talk to him in privacy, which is, you know, like one of my constitutional rights. So, but it, it the conditions there, the food, uh, the water with feces on the on the flooding inside the the cells uh, was a huge problem. But you know, the marshals were 100% right in their assessment, and we were complaining about it since the moment I got in there. Uh, I met with some of the J6 protesters, and we're we're sounding the alarm on that. So uh, what was the first thing you did when you got out? That's uh, it's four months. It's not, you know, it's not four years, but it's a long time. What'd you do when you got out? Uh, first thing I did was hug my family um, and kiss the ground. Uh, but 
you know, like you said, I, I wasn't there for years. I was only there for four months. Last time I was on your show, I told you that I do that time happily with no problem. So my worry isn't, wasn't for myself for those four months. It's for those people that have been in there for a, more than a year uh, that are politically pros, uh, persecuted because of trespassing, not because they assaulted police officers, not because uh, they broke or stole anything. They just walked in, walked out, and, you know, we don't know. They, we're looking at the, a DOJ that wants to put them in jail for decades. We actually have the footage of your offense when you burned the Black Lives Matter flag. You know, if you burned an American flag, uh, you wouldn't have gone to jail. Now, I know you would never do that, but here you are burning a Black Lives Matter flag. This is clearly, in my view, a political statement. It wasn't, well, perhaps it was a minor fire hazard. Um, what do you think about this? I mean, was part of your defense that this is free speech or, you know, how did you address that? I had no defense. I claimed that I was guilty from day one. Even before they arrested me, I claimed I was guilty. I was guilty. Uh, the charge really was because it was supposedly private property, which I didn't know at the time. Uh, but I'm not going to apologize for burning uh, anything that says Black Lives Matter on it. Uh, the message of Marxism, the message that uh, oppressed my family uh, from Cuba. So uh, I took the charge. I said I, I did it. And I did my time. And I, like I said, I did it with a smile on my face. I went in there with a smile on my face and I came out with a smile on my face. You're out. Uh, is your reputation enhanced within the Proud Boys? And are you still the leader of the Proud Boys? Um, I wouldn't say my reputation has changed uh, at all, whether it's to the public, whether it's to the Proud Boys. I'm currently the chairman of the Proud Boys. Um, I will be stepping down in the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm working on some personal projects. I won't be stepping away from the organization itself, but I will be stepping down as the chairman of the organization. And do me a favor. As you know, uh, people from Joe Biden to Chris Wallace to the fake news have falsely portrayed your group as white supremacists. And you stand there, the chairman, as an, a man of Afro-Cuban descent. Can you please tell us uh, why that's uh, where did that come from? Why did they start saying that about you guys? I mean, it's the moniker of the month for the liberals, um, but I did come out. There is some truth to it. I did come out a little wider from there, uh, but I'm still pretty dark. But um, that's 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 what they do. They want to they want to call you Nazis. They want to call you white supremacists, anything that they can use that they try to stick onto you. And it's been really I'll be honest with you. It's been really effective. Like people even on our side that aren't very informed on who the Proud Boys are, you know, have have succumbed to this to this this propaganda. But I, I'd say, like, people need to start listening to, you know, your show. Uh, they need to tune into Newsmax. Uh, and they need to start seeing what the truth is. And something that's made me happy is over the course of the past six years, we've seen in uh, multiple stages of an awakening uh, by the American people. And we're just fed up with it. We're tired because it's a double standard. I get arrested for a Black Lives Matter banner that was burnt. Um, and... These people burn down buildings, churches, whatever they can put their hands on, and they they walk away. It's pure political persecution. Like I said, I'm not worried about myself. These these four months that I did, I did them with pride. But my worry comes in uh, the biggest, uh, what I see as the biggest issue in America right now, which is having people put in a gulag for their political beliefs and for being Trump supporters. 
political persecution. Uh, we saw this in other countries, and now other countries are calling us out. Zelensky, Putin calling America out for political persecution, and they're now holding that over us. Hey, do me a favor. Since, and you address this, there is some confusion in some quarters about what the Proud Boys are, what they stand for. Just in 30 seconds, if you don't mind, who are the Proud Boys, what are they all about, and what do you guys want? We're a drinking club with a patriot problem, but simply we just want to put America first. And by doing the way that we do so is that we put our families first, the American family, the nuclear family first. And we focus first at home and then we focus on our country. Um, and that's how we create change. So and who, I and, uh, and, and who's welcome to join the, uh, the Proud Boys. If you're a male and you believe that the West is the best, we welcome you in our ranks. All right. Uh, well, Enrique Tario, wow. Four months in jail, but here you are, and uh, you're proud, you're undeterred, and uh, you won't be burning anything anytime soon, right? No, no, I won't. I won't be burning anything anytime soon. Enrique Tario, to be continued. Thank you very much. All the best. You. Uh, you bet. We'll be right back. Well, if you're interested in being president of the United States and you're a Republican, you got to go to CPAC and you better be good. Donald Trump knew that. He'd been, he was wowing the crowd uh, nine years ago at CPAC. And that's where uh, some of the real intense presidential buzz got underway. Uh, he was so good there. Anyway, CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Conference, is very, very important. And it's headed by Matt Schlapp. Uh, famous conservative. He is the author of the new book. It's called The Desecrators, Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming One Nation Under God. Matt Schlapp, welcome back to Newsmax. How are you, sir? Great to be with you, Greg. Hey, before we get to the book, uh, how did CPAC actually start? I mean, and this really is the ultimate audition for any Republican who wants to be president. How did it start? And am I right? Really, President Trump, if he did not nail it at CPAC, I don't think That's we'd right. have President Trump. No, I think he would even admit that. Matter of fact, he, he did nail it at, at the first couple times he was at CPAC, and he's done very well in the straw poll. His speeches have always been uh, received well. I think it's where he tested out some early lines. If you listen to those early speeches, um, you can see the same things that he talks about today. And, uh, and he always, strange, no one ever considered him like a movement conservative, but he had a better pulse of where the conservatives were than anyone because he had spent a lot of years with them. Very interesting. And look, you're obviously a famous uh, conservative. You've been a believer for a long time. You know, a lot of conservatives used to be not so conservative. You know, Ronald Reagan famously. Was there a moment in your life where maybe something happened or you said, you know what? This is the way. You know, I would say that I was a Republican at a young age, but I didn't become a conservative until I went to college and started listening to some of these crazy professors. And uh, that kind of solidified it in my mind. And then, of course, uh, there's nothing like having five daughters uh, to make you really, really conservative, Greg. 
<laughs> okay. So listen, this book sounds very timely. The Desecrators, Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming One Nation Under God. Uh, that's, uh, that's a very tall order right now. It seems like the left and the cancel culture mob, uh, the, the, there's no end to it. But um, so how do you take it on? Yeah, so basically I wrote this book because I sat in this room I'm talking to you from uh, during the violence of Black Lives Matter and I saw my country being ripped apart and being destroyed. I saw clever marketing being used as wrapping paper for a Marxist revolution to tear down what makes America great. And I personally went through a lot of, uh, uh, you know, cancellation uh, from people. And what I realized, my co-author, Deal Hudson, and I were talking, it's not just about shutting, our, shutting us down in our political speech. It's about destroying everything that keeps society strong, everything that's holy, everything that's good, everything that's enduring, uh, everything that's unique about America. It's about ripping apart this concept of gender. It's about ripping apart this concept of what America exceptionalism is all about. It's about turning us one against the other on racial animus. It's even changing this whole idea that the Republican Party is the racist party, which is puts history on its head. The Republican Party, reason, the reason why Abraham Lincoln is in this office and is my favorite president of history, because he ended slavery and made sure those former slaves got their full civil rights, including the rights to vote. And for this fake governor of Georgia, Stacey Abrams, to run around this country and call my party the racist party when her party is the party of Jim Crow and the KKK and stopping all of the gains that the Republicans push for. We have to learn our history and it's time for us to stand up and defend America. Have you noticed, as I have, that now it's actually okay in our society, in our culture, in fact, it's encouraged to make fun of people who happen to be white. Uh, I notice it's coming from all corners. And a lot of white people are putting themselves down because of the color of their skin. To me, it should be totally irrelevant. Um, but now that they're bringing it up, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it either. And I, I've had so many people tell me, hey, Schlapp, you're not the right messenger because you're like a white male. You should stop speaking out in these things. And I keep telling them, I, I wait and wait and wait for everybody to speak up. But I think everyone knows they can get canceled. And since my wife and I have already taken all this crap from these people, we're just not going to be quiet anymore. And by the way, I am married to a Latina. So maybe in their eyes, that gives me a little bit more ability to say some of these things. But I don't care about any of that. What I care about is what you think and who you are and what's in your heart. And, uh, and I, what I'm seeing in these polls is Hispanics are turning towards Trump policies, towards the Republican Party. You're seeing more and more black people answer questions in polls that they hate this attitude, that there's somehow 62 genders. Um, you know, all of this cancer that's being pushed through our schools, both the private and the public schools, actually isn't even popular with new Americans or immigrants because they came here because they love the country. You know, that's the one upside of cancel culture, isn't it? When they come after you and they, they say terrible things and after a while you get used to it and it doesn't really bother you. And in a weird way, it can set you free. So I look forward to your book. It doesn't come out until February 22nd, it looks like. Let's put it up on the screen. The Desecrators defeating the cancel culture mob and reclaiming one nation under God. And by the way, CPAC will be uh, uh, in Florida, Orlando, February 24th through February 27th. Thank you very much, Matt. Hey, Greg, we're going to try to entice you down there.
Oh, hey, <laughs> thank you. Uh, sounds good to me. See you there. And uh, we'll be right back. You heard about this nonsense. The White House has a new pet, a cat, a cat named Willow. Uh, I don't care for a number of reasons. Number one, I'm not a cat person. Some cats are okay, most aren't, but that's just my thing. But here's what I'm really kind of annoyed by and uh, I don't think is right. It's fundamentally wrong that Joe Biden, you show me a man who trades a dog for a cat. Remember, he gave his dog away. One died, another one he gave away. He traded it for a cat. A man who does that, I'm sorry, is not a man. Yes, I'm going to stand by that. And I'll see you on Monday. All right, have a great weekend, everybody. Uh, Stand by for Stinch. The Trump rally will be carried live here tomorrow, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern time. He'll be in Houston, Texas, or just outside. Have a great weekend, everybody.